So what I want to do this morning is in this text, Paul is speaking about spiritual maturity. He's saying that we all need to progress into spiritual maturity because again, if we're all babies, man, that's all messy and that's dangerous. But we're supposed to progress into spiritual maturity. But the question is, how do we do that? How do, we, how do we become spiritually mature? What's that process look like? How do we progress from spiritual infancy into maturity? So what I want to do is here in this text that we looked at this morning, I'm going to show three specific places where maturity comes from. We can say, where does maturity come from? I think we can see three specific places that our maturity will come from in this text. And I believe that if we focus on these three specific areas, I believe that God would grow us into maturity. So let's do this. Starting out in verse 11, Paul says, And he, that is Jesus, he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Let's talk about this for a second, okay? Somehow, somewhere, some, someone, they, 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 there was this idea that emerged and became very popular within the Christian community. And, and in fact, it's become so popular that people expect it and are angry if it's not done this way. The idea that, that emerged was that the ministry of the church was to be done by the paid, professional, theologically trained clergy and pastors and leaders. That the work of the church was to be done by the pastors and by those that are paid by the church to do the work of the ministry. And so according to this view, according to this philosophy that has emerged, the whole purpose of church then is we come to church to receive the benefits of the ministry. We want to receive the benefits of the preaching. We want to receive the benefits of worship. We want to receive the benefits of counseling and comfort. We want to receive the the activity that the church has to offer. We want to receive the ministry that the church has to offer. And so really, the growth and the health of the church is all dependent upon the leaders. And so what ends up happening is we begin looking for churches and, and we, begin, uh, we begin basing our churches off personal preferences in regards to what kind of pastor he is. Because, again, we want to ha- so if it's all about us receiving, we want to find the pastor that we think we connect with the most, that we like the most. We want to find the church that has the music that we like the most because, again, they're supposed to provide it for us. We want to find the church that has the best ministry because, again, they're supposed to provide it for us. But look what Paul just said in those two verses right there. He's saying that the leaders of the church, the pastors, the elders, the evangelists, that their job, what they have been gifted by God to do, their job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and for the building up of the church. Now that word saints sometimes can get distracted. We're not talking about anybody from New Orleans. Um, uh, when, they, when he says saints, he means all Christians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says that all people who are Christians are saints. They, <laughs> excuse me. They are set apart and they are holy and they are called by God. And so Paul is saying that a, a, a leader's job, a pastor's job, is to equip the, 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 the saints for the work of the ministry. That every one of us is called to do the work of the church for the building up of the body of Christ. Church is not here for us to say, I'm here so for what I can get. But rather, church is all about, I'm here for what I can give. So the first place that maturity is found is maturity is found in doing the work of the ministry. 
Maturity is found in doing the work of the ministry. In fact, you actually see this same idea throughout all of Scripture. In Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptize them, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. Jesus wasn't just talking to the leaders. He was talking to every one of us. Every one of us have been given that commission to go into all the world and, and to make disciples of all nations. That's every one of us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says that every Christian has been given unique gifts that are to be used for the building up of the, of the body of Christ, for the building up of the church. 1 Peter 2, beautiful passage, says that that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. We are God's special possession. And and we are that so that we may declare the praises of him who has called us out of darkness and into the light. We are made Christians for the purpose of making Christ known. 1 Peter chapter 4 says that we have all been given a gift and that we're supposed to use it for the benefit of everybody else. The idea that Paul is saying here is part of our maturity comes from seeing ourselves doing the work of the ministry. This is, this is something that every one of us is called to do. Every one of us is called not just to be a part of the church, but we are called to serve in the church and to be a part of God's mission moving forward. You know, I think about this. I think about Restoration Church, I think, you know, we have lots of places for people to serve. We have lots of things. There are areas that we need people with different giftings to step in and and bless the church body. But I, I want us to understand that everything we do, everything we do as a church, we have one single purpose of doing it. And that is to know Christ and to make Christ known. We want people to know Christ and come into a deeper relationship with him. We want their faith to grow. We want to see them taking next steps so they can become more like Christ. And then we want to take the message of the gospel and we want to make Christ known all throughout the Yakima Valley, all throughout the Pacific Northwest, and all throughout the world. And everything we do, everything we do as a church is to accomplish that mission. Everything we do. So, we do nursery. You want to know why we do nursery? It's not just so a mom can get 75 minutes away from their child and have a break. We do nursery. We have people who serve with in nursery so that a mom can have peace and ease that they can leave their child in the nursery. Know the child's going to be well taken care of so they can come in and hear about Jesus Christ so that they can come in and have their lives transformed by the gospel. Yesterday, we had the opportunity uh, to take 20 Thanksgiving food boxes to a variety of people all throughout the all throughout our city. You want to know why we give food boxes? It's not because we want people to, to, to feel loved. We want to give them food boxes so we can build a relationship, so we can share the gospel with them. Because we want to see their lives be transformed. And does it take people to go and do that work? Absolutely. I think there was 16 people, something like that, that went out to help give these food boxes out. And the reason we do that, again, is it all comes down to this idea of of being involved to spread the gospel. You want to know why every Sunday morning there's about 10 people who show up at 7.30 to this building? And and we go through and we set all this stuff up and we get the church ready. You want to know why we do that? Because we want to have a place that people would walk in, feel welcomed, feel comfortable, so they could hear about Jesus. So the lives could be transformed by the power of the gospel. 
See, this is why when, when Paul is saying we need everybody, it's because if we're going to really do anything, it's going to take every one of us being involved in that. And, and nothing, nothing that, in the church, no, no role is too small. Because again, it all is going to feed the purpose of knowing Christ and making Christ known. Everything we ask somebody to do, every time somebody says, hey, I'd like to volunteer, I'd like to be able to do this, I'd like to be able to do that, we're going to design it purposely. So it affects the mission. It affects knowing Christ and making Christ known. It doesn't matter what your role is. It doesn't matter what your gifting are. We need you. We need you. You matter. So this really becomes a mark of maturity. It's where we put others before ourselves. And God begins to stretch us. And God begins to grow us through our serving. Look back to our text. Paul says, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And then he says in verse 13, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That little saying right there, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, is kind of confusing. I wrote in the margin of my Bible, that means holiness. It means holiness. You can write that in your Bible. So Paul's saying that we use our gifts, we use our time, we use our resources for the work of the ministry, for the building up of, of the church, for the building up of the body of Christ. And Paul says we do this until there is a unity of, of the faith and a knowledge of God, which represents mature manhood and holiness. And this idea here, this idea of the knowledge of Christ is where I want to focus in on because this is pretty huge. Notice the way that this verse is laid out. Paul says that we grow in our knowledge of God, and that leads to maturity. That leads to mature manhood. So the second place that we're going to find maturity is maturity comes from an expanding knowledge of God. An expanding knowledge of God. Now, oftentimes when we start talking about knowledge and faith, we think those things are opposites. You can't have them both. Like knowledge doesn't give itself to faith, and faith doesn't give itself to knowledge. They just don't go together. But that's not the case. I want you to see very clearly what Paul says here. And this is one of those words you should probably underline. Notice that Paul says he's talking about the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. It doesn't say a knowledge about God. It says a knowledge of God. There's a huge difference between having a knowledge about God and having a knowledge of God. There's a huge difference. Let me tell you a story that explains that difference of having a knowledge of God and a knowledge about God. Years ago, uh, before I was in ministry, uh, I was working at the state patrol and had this desire to go into ministry sometime. I didn't know what it looked like. And so uh, my church, I was one of three adult Sunday school teachers. So I would teach for a month and have two months off. And I was teaching this Sunday school class. And my pastor said, hey, I'm going to go to this expository preaching conference. I'd like you to come. You can continue learning. You can grow your craft. And I said, great, that sounds like fun. So I got to go to this conference. And there were these guys that I just looked up to. My pastor was one of those guys that, man, I if I could be like him, that'd be awesome, you know? And, and my, my brother-in-law, Dana, was there. He was a youth pastor at the church. Uh, there was a couple other guys, a missionary, some other guys that came. And these were all guys that I was like, man, man, if I could just learn from them, I'd be awesome, you know? I'd love to be like one of these guys when I grow up. And so we're at this conference, and there's one specific conversation that happened. We went out, we went out for lunch one day, and we're sitting around the table, and these guys, again, these guys who I look up to, 
who I admired, who I valued. We're having this, this, this conversation at lunch, and it turns into these deep theological, theological discussions. And they are using words that I couldn't even spell, let alone explain. Words that were completely new to me, like, like, like justification and propitiation and soteriology, eschatology, Christology. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And they're like, well, what do you think about this? And I said, Jesus, you know, what do I know? You know, I'm, I'm a newer Christian and I'm just trying to figure it out. And so I, I went home and, and, and I thought, man, I gotta, I gotta do something about this. You know, I gotta, I gotta learn some of this stuff. So I picked up, I picked up Wayne Grudem's uh, Systematic Theology. Now, if you know this book, it's, it's like 1,200 pages long. And then it's got like 400 pages of like index and additional notes. So it's like one of those books, if it was in your driveway and you tried to drive, I mean, it would poke a hole in your oil pan. Like it's just one of those thick books, you know. And so I picked this book up and I, and I start trying to read it. And like three days later, I'm like a page and a half in. And I'm just like, I just want to gouge my eyes out, you know. All these big, deep theological things. And I'm like, oh man, this is so... So then I found there was, uh, there was, um, <laughs> um, there was Wayne, Grudem, Wayne Grudem's Basic Christian Beliefs, which is basically that systematic theology book boiled down to like 225 pages, you know? It was like the Cliff Notes version, you know? So I picked that book and I'm like, man, yeah, I can read through this. And I read through and I thought, yeah, this is awesome. I'm awesome now, you know? I'm, I'm so cool, you know? But here's, here's the thing. These men... These men that I valued. These men I wanted to learn from. These guys who could talk circles around me in theology. These discussions, these conversations that they had, this study of this deep theology, theology that they were learning, it came out of a desire to understand the nature of Christ, understand the character of God through the study of his word. Me, I had a deep longing to be able to walk out of a theological discussion without looking like an idiot. I just didn't want to look like a moron. And, and so there's, there's a huge difference between our motivations. My motivation was I wanted to have a knowledge about God. I wanted to be able to involve myself in the conversation. I wanted to be able to not sound like an idiot. These guys, their motivation was to have a deeper understanding of who Christ was. A deeper understanding of what Christ has done for them. A deep understanding of how God loves them. Of the way that God operates. There is a huge difference between having a knowledge about God and having a knowledge of God. But see, sadly, what happens is too many people, probably including some of us in here, we settle for a knowledge about God. We settle for a knowledge about Jesus. We settle for a knowledge about the Bible. See, a knowledge about God isn't enough. Jesus said in John 5, 39, he says, you search the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. He says, and it is they that bear witness to me. He said, you can have all the knowledge in the world and that doesn't mean you're a Christian because all that the Bible is going to do is point you to a relationship with me, with Jesus. 1 Corinthians 8 says, says knowledge puffs up and love builds up. So here in Ephesians 4, when Paul is talking about having a knowledge of God, he isn't talking about having a knowledge of God for the sake of having more knowledge. It's, it's a different kind of knowledge. One that truly desires to know the nature and the character of God through his word. Because having a knowledge of God 
It permeates who we are as people. It permeates, it changes us. It becomes, it changes our foundation. It changes our motivational structure. Having a knowledge of God changes who we are. We no longer see life through our own lens and through our own filter that life is all about me. Having a knowledge of God, we begin to see life is all about him. God is big. I am small. God is sovereign. I am not. God's in charge. I am not. This is what the knowledge of God does. And it is so different than having a knowledge about God. Look, some of you in here, you have a lot of knowledge about God. You know about the Bible. But I'm afraid you don't yet know God personally as your Savior. I want to encourage you today that your knowledge will not save you. Your knowledge will not save you. Your knowledge will not make you a Christian. Only experiencing a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, having a personal knowledge of God, of what he has done for you on the cross, only that will save you. So what happens is when we begin to have this true knowledge of God, Paul says in verse 13 that we grow in our maturity but we also grow in our holiness. This means that when we have a true knowledge of God, that we are constantly being reminded of how loving and how gracious and how holy God is. And we are reminded of truly how sinful and how broken we truly are. We see ourselves in that light, that God is this great and holy and mighty God, and we don't really have much to offer. But God, out of his love, came down and provided a way for us to come into a relationship with him. And because of that knowledge and because of that maturity, we start dragging out those dark things of our heart. We drag those into light. We confess those before God. We confess those before each other so that God can begin to remove those dark things of our heart, to to take them away from us, to remove them from us. But honestly, that's not what most of us do, right? Most of us, we don't want to drag those dark things out of our heart. I mean, when we have sin, we don't want to run to God. We want to run away from God. In our maturity, how many times have we messed up and then we run away from God in order to clean ourselves up? We run away from God saying, I've got I've to clean myself up for God to accept me again. And so we run away to make ourselves acceptable. And we have this misunderstanding and we think that God is not pleased with us because we've done that thing, whatever that thing is. And so we run away from him. But you see, the problem is, is outside of the cross, outside of the grace and forgiveness that Jesus brought, there is no way that you and I will ever be acceptable. So you can clean all you want. You can do all you want. You can scrub all you want. But without Christ, you will always be unacceptable. But as our true knowledge, not just about God, but our knowledge of God, as we expand that knowledge, as we mature in our faith, we begin to understand the grace of God even further. We begin to understand that the only way for us to kill sin and to overcome sin that so easily besets us is to run to the foot of the cross and say, 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 God, say, Jesus, would you take this away from me? Jesus, would you forgive this? Would you kill this thing inside of me? See, maturity and knowledge of God, it helps us to understand that, yes, it is by grace that we are saved and that get, that, through faith, and that faith is a gift of God. But check this. Knowledge of God and maturity also helps us see that the same grace that saved us, 
that made us a Christian, that same grace covers the sin that we are in right now. That same grace that saved us and made us a Christian is that same grace that covers our sin that we are in right now. And instead of running from God, we run to him. This is what a knowledge of God does. It helps us to understand that we always run to him. We run to him with our sin and say, God, would you help me overcome? Would you help me get rid of this? And that's what a mature believer understands. This is what the knowledge of God does. It helps us to come to the foot of the cross time and time and time again and say, Jesus, I need you. I'm not going to go and try to clean myself because I can't. I'm going to come and surrender myself to you and say, Jesus, would you take this from me? So we grow in our knowledge and our understanding of him and we grow in our holiness. And why is this so important? Why is this so important that we grow in that maturity? Paul says in verse 14, he says, so that we may no longer be Children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. See, we learn and we grow in our knowledge and understanding of the nature and the character of God. And we grow in holiness because we don't want to remain children of the faith. Why? Because again, remember, childhood is messy. Being a, being a baby is, is messy and it's dangerous. I mean, kids, kids, as Paul says, they're easy to fool. Kids are easy to lead astray. I got a story that explains that. When we were growing up, I remember one year for Christmas, my mom got me a basketball. Now, it was great because we didn't have a basketball hoop. So like, this basketball is great. I don't have anywhere to shoot it. But we lived, we lived about three blocks from uh, Robertson Elementary. Robertson Elementary is the one on 28th and Lincoln. And so Christmas afternoon, uh, my sister and I, uh, my sister always wanted to play with my toys. I think she wanted to be like me when she grew up. I don't know, something like that. And so uh, I said, hey, let's go down to the school and let's go play basketball. So we go down to the school. It's Christmas afternoon and and we're playing um, out on the basketball court. And these two guys come from across the street and they say, hey, hey, kids, can we play basketball with you? Now, these guys were probably in their 20s, something like that. Our mom and our mom, she taught as well. You're not supposed to talk to strangers, so... Uh, tell the guys, you know, probably, you know, probably, sh- no, you know, I don't think you should play with us. And they say, one of the guys says this to me, he says, all right, kid, look, look, you know, I'm supposed to keep on the down low this week. I'm supposed to stay under radar. He said, but actually we're from the Harlem Globe- Globetrotters. We're just here for Christmas, but we play for the Harlem Globetrotters. And so, man, that changes everything, right? Really? Like to a little kid, that changes everything. I was probably 10 years old and I'm like, show me something. And so he takes a ball and he, you know, does his little thing. And, and I'm like, Whoa. now, like, uh, as a kid, you're like, wow. Now, I like, now I'm like, Ben could do that. Ben doesn't play for the Globetrotters, you know. But as a kid, you're like, wow, this guy, you know, these guys. And so we're like, yeah, we play with them for like an hour, you know. And they're like, you know, trying to do all these tricks. And we're like, wow, that's so awesome, you know. And I can barely shoot it up high enough to hit the hoop, you know. And so the, it gets to the point where they've got to go. And I'm like, would you guys sign my basketball? You know, my new basketball I got for Christmas. And, and so they go to their house and come back out. And they, they grab a pen and, and they sign it, uh, Legend Larry. And I'm like, that's so awesome, you know. And then I took my new basketball. I was so excited to take it to school and show my friends. Look, this guy from the Globetrotter signed it. And they're like, Legend Larry, do you know who that is? And I'm like, yeah, he's a Globetrotter. They're like, no, that... He signed at Larry Bird, you know, from the Celtics. This, and I'm like, oh my gosh. Kids, kids are dumb. These, these guys, 
They didn't even have a basketball. They play for the Globetrotters, but they don't have a basketball. They've got to come and use my basketball. I mean, kids are, are dumb. Kids are just dumb. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, Our adversary, the devil, he prowls, he prowls around like a lion, looking for someone to devour. And it is dangerous for us to remain as a child in the faith because we can be so easily devoured. The ignorant and the inexperienced, the young into their faith, they are liable to be swept along by any plausible person who professes to be a Christian, who professes to be a pastor. And these people are often very dangerous because they work, as Paul says in verse, in chapter four, they work with cunning and craftiness. They have teachings that are devised by the hearts of men, just they're made to appear religious. Was thinking, thinking about this, we've been in this heaven and hell, hell series, and one of the questions was, will, will I be married in heaven? And I know there are some people that struggle with this idea so much because they think, well, I love my family. Why, why would I want to be with my family in heaven? You know, isn't that what we want? And, and, and really what happens is we begin to take our family and we put them in a place that they don't belong. We put them as ultimate. This is ultimate. My family is ultimate. And, and, and so instead of being Christ being ultimate, we are like, hey, I want to go to heaven, but only if my family is there, only if I can be married and have my kids. And see, what, what has happened is the Mormon faith, what they've done is they've said, you know, yeah, you know, we're going to sound Christian. We're going to say we're Christians. And we're going to say that your family can be together forever. And, and, and what they've done is they've taken something that sounds Christian, and they've made it religious, and they've, they've diverted away from the truth. They've used cunning. They've used uh, craftiness to make their, their, their message sound true and real. So instead of us looking at what God's word says, that... Christ is ultimate, not our family. Christ is ultimate. Having presence with God should be more than any of us imagine and desire. But again, you begin to take that truth and divert it and make something else ultimate. And pretty soon you have all these young believers that are going away from the truth because they're being distracted and diverted and and, and devoured by the lion that is looking to destroy So Paul warned the church at Ephesus of the same thing. He wrote in Acts chapter 20, he said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things that draw away the disciples after them. See, this is why why it is dangerous for for us to remain a child in the faith. We've got to take our next steps. We've got to continue to pursue that knowledge of God. So there's the danger for the immature and the young believer. But look what Paul says next about the mature. He says in verse 15, he says, Rather, rather than that immature believer who's going to be taken away by, by the cunning and the craftiness, he says, rather speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. See the contrast that Paul is saying here? He's saying in verse 14, the young in their faith, they are led astray by cunning and by craftiness, by by, by talk. But the mature, Paul says in verse 15, they speak the truth in love. Let me ask you this. Anybody know what truth is? What is truth? John 17, 17, very clearly Your word is truth. God's word is truth. So the third place that we're going to find maturity is in the truth of God's word. 
We're going to find maturity in the truth of God's word. I mean, if we are going to be mature, we have to go back to the scriptures. We have to go back to the Bible. See, the danger is, the danger is, when you go to a place, and you hear a pastor, and they spend a lot of time talking about the Bible. They talk about the truth, but they never talk about it itself. Do you see the danger in that? And so Paul's saying, if we're going to be mature, we've got to take that book, take the Bible, and we've got to stand on that and say, this is what we hold on to. This is what we, we do because this is where maturity comes from. It doesn't come from talking and reading about the Bible. It comes from the Bible itself. That is the truth, is the Bible. God has revealed himself through his word. His word is perfect. It has no error. That is why we're always going to come back and say, God's word, what do you have to say? We don't want to talk about God's word. We want to hear God's word being taught. Not talk about things of faith. We want to talk about God's word. I mean, I've, I've heard it said, the Bible is like a scalpel. It can be used to heal, and then it can also be used to wound. Hebrews 4 actually says that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it can pierce to the division and the soul and spirit. See, we've got to stand on the word of God. Because if we're going to mature, we've got to come back to God's word again and again and again. We don't want to hear my opinion. We don't want to hear the opinion of, of, of anyone else. We want to hear what God's word has to say for us. So maturity. Maturity, it is found in doing the work of the ministry. It is found in an expanding knowledge of God. And it is found in the truth of the word of God. And Restoration Church, we are committed to helping you mature in your faith. We are committed to help you do the work of the ministry. We are committed to help you expand your knowledge of God, not just about God, but having a personal knowledge of God. And, and, and we're going to do everything we can to train you to go deeper into the Word of God, to have a greater understanding of what God's Word has to say. We want you to become mature in your faith. We want you to become mature in your faith. And why is that? Why is maturity so important? Look back at our text one more time. It says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is, at, who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See, the mature in their faith, they join together and they help to hold the church together to make sure the church is working properly so the church can build itself up in love. So the mature, you know what the mature do? Mature help the church grow and be built up in love. That is the purpose of maturity. It's, it's like this. I don't, know, I, don't know if you, I don't know if you guys remember this a couple years ago. There was a shoe, shoe brand called Skechers. They came out with these shoes called... Uh, uh, they were called shape-ups. Anybody remember those things? They're hideous looking, right? I mean, just ugly. I mean, tennis shoes with like a, like a three-inch buildup, like a rounded kind of thing, uh, rounded off edges. And these shoes, they were, they were supposed to support your foot in such a way that it aligns your, your joints and your ankles and your knees and your hips and your back. And, 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 and if you wear these shoes, they're going to make you all aligned and make your body work more effectively. And because of the support of those shoes... Your body was supposed to function in, in such a way that it would build muscle around those joints and begin to alleviate pain. 
I'm not sure if these shoes actually work. I know there was some sort of lawsuit that claims they don't really do anything big, but you could still find people who swear by these shoes, okay? But this is a picture of what the mature do. This is a picture of what the mature in the church do. At times, they function like this ugly-looking shoe. They support the body of Christ. They support the church so that other people, newer believers, less mature believers, weaker believers, they're able to grow and they are able to learn from the more mature of their faith. The mature, they help these younger believers to take their next steps. They, they help them to learn how to read the Bible. They tell, to help them to learn how to serve in the church. They help them to learn how to pray. They help them to learn this is what it looks like to follow Christ. They help them to learn this is what it looks like to be a godly husband. This is what it looks like to be a Christian father. This is what it looks like to be a Christian employee. They begin to model that and teach that to the newer believers. The mature believers, they are the ones who speak the truth in love. When they see one of those immature believers wandering away from the truth, being, being, being sucked away because of the craftiness and the cunning of what the false teachers will do, those mature believers, they speak the truth in love. And they call the immature believers back to the truth, back to what the Word of God really says. Let me say, if you're, if you're a mature believer, we need you. We need you here. We love you. We need you to walk alongside those who are less mature, helping them to grow in their faith. I mean, if if you're a mature believer, think about this. Think Think about your past. Think about the mature believers who have influenced you. Think about the mature believers who walked alongside you and and showed you how to read the word of God. Think about those mature believers who taught you how to to be a Christian in the world. Think about those mature believers who taught you how to be a a, a godly wife and a godly mother and a godly, all these different things. Think about those mature believers who influenced your life. Because as a mature believer, you then begin to do that for somebody else. You begin to say, hey, you know what? I've got some depth to me. Let me walk alongside you. Let me walk alongside you and help you learn and help you grow and help you take your next step because we want to see everybody progressing. And the mature believer has an important role within that. Sometimes is it hard? Sometimes is it messy? I mean, are are those shoes ugly? Absolutely. And sometimes when we are walking in life with an immature believer, it can get hard. It can get difficult. It can get messy. Mentoring and teaching and loving immature believers definitely is messy. But look what Paul says here happens when we do this. He's saying that we are able to see this body of Christ, this church. It grows in a beautiful way that God created it to grow. Where people's lives are being radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where people are growing in their faith and we're all moving in the same direction of knowing Christ and making Christ known. Here's my challenge. You're a mature believer. Who are you bringing up? Who are you pouring into? Sometimes they're not going to come and seek you out. Sometimes you've just got to look and say, you know, God's given me some depth. I need to find someone I can invest into. Because I'll tell you what, in a growing church, there are immature believers all over the place. There are new Christians all over the place that need to be learned, that need to be discipled, need to be taught this is what it means to follow Christ. This is how we do it. This is how we study the Bible. 
This is a work of the ministry. This is doing the work of the ministry. We, never, we need every one of you here alongside us. And we're going to make a difference in this city. Would you pray with me? God, you are good. God, you are great. And God, we thank you for that. God, we thank you that you haven't left us as infants. But God, you desire that we grow in our faith, that we take next steps so that we can become more like you, so we become sanctified. God, help us to do the work of the ministry. God, help us to find our place to serve you, that we would see that all areas of service are are there so we can advance your kingdom. God, help us to expand our knowledge of you, not just to desire a knowledge about you. God, help us to know the truth of your word. God, would you transform us into mature believers? God, help us as a church to provide the, menu, provide the venues to build mature believers. Help us to be faithful in, in providing those venues where we can learn and to teach and to grow. And God, for the mature believers that are in here, mature believers that are in here today, God, I pray that they would see their vital role. That they would be willing to walk alongside the less mature. That they would be willing to teach and to guide. And God, we know it's hard. And sometimes, God, it's messy. But God, just as you walk with us through our mess so that we can become something for you, God, I pray that we would walk with others, even in the hard times, so that you can make them into something beautiful. So that you would change their life through the gospel. God, I pray for those in here today who have a knowledge about you and who thought that that was enough. God, I pray that you would help them to have a knowledge of you, that they would know the love that you have for them and they would surrender at the foot of the cross, putting their faith in your sacrifice on the cross, not on their knowledge. God, we thank you that in this moment we can celebrate because it's not about perfection. It's not about righteousness that gains our right standing with you. It's all about the blood of Jesus. So God, help us, help incline our hearts to you. Help us raise our voices to you. Help us remember how big you are and how small we are. And how it is amazing that you choose to use us to accomplish your will and your purposes. God, I pray these things in your strong name. Amen.